dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love scary old-time radio stories. There's nothing quite like a disembodied voice telling a genuinely disturbing tale. But do these stories stand the test of time, or are we being deceived by nostalgia? Are they suspenseful or forgettable? Bone-chilling or butt-numbing? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I am interrupting our Listener Library series. The last few weeks, we have been catching up on suggestions from our listeners, and we will continue to do so next week. But next Sunday, August 20th, is the 127th anniversary of the birth of horror icon H.P. Lovecraft. My heart is breaking that I will not be in Providence celebrating with fans at Necronomicon, but as consolation, I will be at Gen Con in Indianapolis running a Call of Cthulhu game. Me too. <laughs> One of the most influential horror writers of the 20th century, Lovecraft was known for a distinctive style of cosmic horror, depicting characters driven to madness and disaster when confronted by otherworldly gods, indescribable beings beyond the scope of comprehension. Lovecraft is remembered for his masterful ability to create a sense of dread, his peculiar, expansive vocabulary, and his occasional not-so-subtle racism. In honor of Mr. Lovecraft's birthday, I have chosen the suspense version of his classic short story, The Dunwich Horror, for us today. It was originally aired on November 1st, 1945. Forget the petty distractions around you. Forget what you think you know. Forget everything but what you hear right now. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices. Suspense. Mr. Ronald Coleman, a star of the Dunnage Horror. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Come in, Dunnage, Massachusetts. Come in, Dunnage. Good evening. This is Henry Armitage. I'm speaking to you... Uh, Dr. Rice, please close the window. I'm speaking to you from my laboratory on the slopes of Sentinel Hill near Dunnage, Massachusetts. Present with me is Dr. Warren Rice, my distinguished colleague from Miskatonic University. Uh, we are now about a hundred yards from the summit of the hill, which is crowned by a huge table-like stone set in the center of a circle of stone pillars, a place of prehistoric worship. A moment ago, uh, you may have heard the dogs of Tunnage Township barking as we have heard them for three days and three nights. Dr. Rice and I know the horror which they're barking portends, but the purpose of this broadcast is to make this unbelievable horror believable to you. I hope for your sakes and ours, we are successful tonight. It is the eve of all hallows. Tomorrow will be too late. 
Our time tonight is very short, so so I'll speak only of those more recent events, which, believe me, may culminate at any moment in a climax too frightful to wholly contemplate. I will begin with the birth of Wilbur Whateley. It was the night of February the 2nd, 1921. Candlemas. Toward dawn, when Lavinia Whateley, a deformed albino woman about 35 years old, gave birth to her dark, goatish-looking son in the crumbling Whateley farmhouse northeast of the village. No one attended her. No doctor or midwife. No one was with her, except her aged, half-insane father, who was known as Wizard Waitley. So Wilbur came into this world under heaven knows what incantations, what appeals to what power. A week later, Wizard Waitley drove his sleigh into Dunnage Village and reported the event to a group of loungers in Osborne's general store. Hey, your grandson got yellow hair like Lavinia Wizard? No, takes after his father-in-law. He's dark, dark. You never spoke of who his father might be now, did you? Oh, you know his father when the time comes. Oh, Lavinia's read and seen some things the most of you only talk about. Uh, calculate her husband's as good as you can find this side of Aylesbury. Well, we don't be nosy, Wizard. Uh, maybe it was in no church that none of you heard of. But you wouldn't ask no better church wedding than Lavinia's. Why didn't he tell no wedding, Wizard? Hmm. When was that? Well, not a wedding you'd hear of, Corey. Not a husband you'd hear of, neither. But let me tell you something. Someday you folks will hear a child of Lavinia's calling its father's name on top of Sentinel Hill. <laughs> Prophecy? Or idle boasting by an insane old man? Now, I know I ask a great deal when I ask you to believe that the arrival of an infant into that house of dire poverty and squalor could possibly constitute a horror and a threat to all our known world. Yet it has an earthly history. Perhaps through this history, you will be able to give it credence. Wilbur Waitley's growth was uncanny. But even if he had been an average child, he would have become, in time, an unnatural being, for he was surrounded from the first by the most malign influences. There was his grandfather, old Waitley, Wizard Waitley, who each Halloween climbed Sentinel Hill to the great circle of stone, and while the hills shook, stood holding a great book open on his arms and shrieked into the wind. Yag Sothar. That dreadful name, first mentioned in the hideous forbidden book, the Necronomicon. And this wizard Waitley was Wilbur's teacher. The villagers began to notice curious things that were going on at the Waitley farmhouse. Soon after Wilbur was born, old Waitley began to remodel the house. The abandoned upper story was restored, and all the windows were tightly boarded up. And then, a wizard began to buy cattle in large numbers, both horses and cows. Yet the livestock on the farm didn't seem to increase. Young Lem Brown was one day, curious enough to creep close to the house to count the Waitley herd. Dr. Armitage, there weren't more than 12 cows, and them six looked like they had the blight. 
and funny wounds on them, like cuts. I heard something, too, in the top part of Wizard's house. Something like water slapping inside. Only big, big like a sea. One other person went to the Waitley farm in the years before I met Wilbur. Dr. Ken Houghton of Aylesbury, who was called by Wilbur himself, who said that his grandfather was dying. Dr. Houghton found the old man in the bedroom on the ground floor, and Wilbur with him. While outside the window, a legion of whippoorwills cried loudly and rhythmically, endlessly. Wilbur spoke about the sound. Time with his breathing now. They're ready. Listen, Doctor. They know his soul's going out. They're waiting. <laughs> yes, Wilbur, that's an interesting superstition. Late in the air for them, too. When he goes, if they catch him, they'll keep laughing till break of day. If they don't catch him, they'll quiet down. You mean you believe that... In just a minute. I think he's conscious. Yes, the birds changed when his breathing changed. Like Willie, I say. Willie, Willie. I'm here. More space, Willie. Remember, more space soon. Yes, I'll build it. You grows, but that grows faster. It'll be ready to serve you soon, Willie. I know. But remember... When it's time, you open up the gates to Yogg-Sothoth with a long chant. The one on page 7 and 51 of the book. But mind you, read it enough. Because if it gets out before you open to Yogg-Sothoth, it's all over. It's no use. He's going now. He's dead, Wilbur. <laughs> the birds, they didn't get him. Yes, he's free. He's gone. <laughs> it was the winter following Wizard Waitley's death that I first met Wilbur. He came in person to the library at Miskatonic University to consult a copy of the hideous... Necronomicon, which was kept there in its Latin version, as printed in Spain in the 17th century. I tell you, when he came into my office, I was appalled at his appearance. Eight feet tall, shabby, dirty, bearded. But I was even more appalled by his voice when he spoke to me. I wrote you a letter a month past, Doctor. I wanted a loan of the book. Well, that's a book that's never loaned from this library. I doubt if it is from any library. Well, I have to see it then. Oh, very well, it's, it's kept right here. As you know, there are only three copies of this book in existence. That's why we're careful. Here, you can look at it on this table. Wizard said it would be on page 751. What? What is it you're looking for? The formula, the long chant. The one that opens the gate to Yogg-Sothoth. I felt a wave of fright as tangible as a draft from the tomb. 
It seemed somehow like, like the spawn of another dimension, like something only partly of mankind, linked to black gulfs beyond all spheres of force and matter, space and time. And presently he raised his head and spoke again. It's here, all right, but I'll have to have a copy. Oh, that paragraph there? Oh, I don't Do know. You know Latin, Doctor? Yes, certainly. Then read it, Doctor. Let's hear how you make it out. All right, that shouldn't be difficult. Uh, let's see. Uh, nor is it to be thought um, that man is the oldest or the last of Earth's masters. The old ones were, and the old ones shall be. Not in the, the the spaces that we know, but but between them. But only Yag Sathoth knows the gate. Yag Sathoth is the gate to 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 where the old ones broke through of old. Their hands are uh, at your throats, yet ye see them not. Dr. Armitage, you see, I reckon I've got to take that book home. There's things in it I've got to try, and you can't hold me up. No, I'm sorry. I tell you, Doctor, I'll have the book sooner or later, no matter what. You see, it, that's waiting for me at home, won't wait much longer. A week later that I was awakened suddenly by the fierce yelping of the great watchguard on the campus, followed by a sound from a wholly different throat, a scream. And I knew instantly that Wilbur had come back for the Necronomicon. I hastened into my clothes and rushed across to the library where a crowd had gathered before the smashed window of my office. Inside, there was a fearful groaning and growling, and some instinct warned me. But what was taking place there was not for for unfortified eyes to see. I brushed back the crowd, motioning only to Professor Rice to come in with me. When we opened the study door, Professor Rice screamed. No, Dr. Armitage, no, I come. Can't. Come, close the door. We can't let them see. He's alive, but Lord, what, what a job that dog's done. Turn him to bed. Oh, it's a horrible sound that morning, you. Suppose we ought to call a doctor? A doctor? A doctor for that? No doctor in the world would know what to do for that. Look, Armitage, it's not human, nor animal. Where did it come from? Can you tell me? Can you tell me what it is? No, I couldn't tell what Wilbur Waitley was. The thing that lay half-bent on its side in a pool of greenish-yellow stickiness was nine feet tall. And the dog had torn off all the clothing and some of the skin. It was partly human, beyond a doubt, with very man-like hands and head, but, but the torso and lower parts of the body were... fabulous. With chest had the leathery hide of a crocodile or alligator. But below the waistline, the skin was covered with coarse black fur. And from the abdomen, long greenish-gray tentacles. A 
the limbs terminated in, in ridgy veined pads that were neither hooves nor claws. And as Dr. Rice and I stood tearing at this, this presence, the, the whippoorwills began to cry in unison outside the study window. And then the thing on the floor roused and mumbled. came here to die. We left for Dunwich that night, and we've been here on Sentinel Hill ever since, working desperately to discover the formula in time. But a week ago tonight, shortly after dawn... Yeah, hello? Dr. Armitage, this is Lem Brown. I, I was just up beyond the Glen, Doctor, looking for cows I lost last night. Yes, Lem? Well, Doctor, something's been there. Smells like thunder. And there's prints in the road. Great round prints, big as barrel heads, like a, a, a elephant has been along. Any, anything else, Lem? That's all I see. Uh, except bushes and trees pushed back from the road, like, like a house was drug along. Oh. Did you hear anything? Along toward morning, I heard a sound over toward Waitley's place. A kind of ripping or tearing of wood, like a big box was being opened up. Chancy, you heard it too. Lem, who who lives nearest the Waitley farm? Why, uh, that'd be Elmer Fry's place. 
Well, he's on this line, too, isn't he? Hang on, and I'll ring him. Yes, Dr. Armitage, this is Central. I'm trying to get Elmer Fry, Central. Doctor, he must be out somewhere, and his whole family. I was ringing there an hour ago. Earl Sawyer saw Elmer's cow stampeding in Cold Spring Glen. Oh, you didn't get him, hmm? All right. Uh, but if you hear or see anything more, let me know. I'll be here working all day. Right. Right. Oh, wake up. It, it's loose. It's out of the house. One family gone already. We have to work. Pray God we find that formula in time. of terror and panic here in Dunwich Township. Each night it moves about the countryside, leaving the trees crushed in a steady-foot swathe, as though by a moving mountain, leaving its monstrous tracks and a trail of tarry stickiness, leaving crushed and gutted farmhouses and whole herds of cattle drained of blood. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the story to this moment. And tonight is Halloween. Tonight we are here to... Just one moment, please. Uh, Dr. Rice, did you hear something? Uh, with the window closed, no. Well, we'll throw it open. I thought so. Listen. The sound from a thousand bending trees. Sound like the sea moving across a forest. Yes. Yes, it's coming here, of course. All hallows, it comes to Sentinel Hill. Uh, Dr. Rice, I'll try the formula and the powder from the altar stone. I, I want you to stay here at the microphone and report what you see. Very well, Dr. Armitage. Oh, wait a minute before I go. To any scientists who may be listening to me, if I fail, there is a possible alternative formula in Falconer's Mystical Formulae of the Middle Ages on page 24. Listen, well, there are the whippoorwills. I'd better get out there. Take over, Dr. Rice. Yes. I'll do as well as I can, Armitage. Good luck. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Armitage is climbing to the top of the hill, to the altar stone. I can see him plainly for the moon is high and the night clear. Down the hill toward the dark village, I can see the grasses and shrubbery bending down, marking the monster's ascent. It moves quite fast, and I feel a proximity to phases of being utterly forbidden. Now, Dr. Armitage stands now on the altar stone and is holding the powder which, if the books are correct... We'll make this thing for an instant visible. It is quite close to him now, perhaps 20 yards or less. He lifts his hands, he brings the powder in a wide arc. They can see... Oh, no! No! Dr. Rice, come in, Dunnage. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your suspense announcer. Due to condition... Oh, just a moment, please. Dr. Rice, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yes, for a moment I was overcome when I saw... Ladies and gentlemen, perhaps you can hear now the incantation of Dr. Armitage. Listen.
the whippoorwills mean death. And Dr. Armitage is walking back here now. So we know that whatever it was, it is gone. It is dead. We can be thankful indeed. You see, I saw Dr. Armitage. Yes, did you? Did you see it, Dr. Wright? I saw it, Lord, yes. What did it? What did it look like to you? It looked here. Like something made of squirming ropes, but bigger than a barn and shaped, well, like an egg. And dozens of legs, like barrels that half closed when it stepped and nothing solid about it. And at least 15 or 20 mouths or trunks opening and closing, but what was it? Oh, a kind of, a kind of force. The kind of force that doesn't belong in our part of space. Did you, did you notice the half face on top? Half face. Like a human finger. Yes, very large. But yes, quite quite human. And quite like Wilbur's. Like all the Waitleys. Then it was... It was... That's right. It was Wilbur's twin brother. And you saw what three weeks' growth had done. And it was the child of Lavinia's who called its father's name on Sentinel Hill. As Wizard Waitley prophesied. You heard it calling. Yog Sotho. Hmm. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this night is over. It is All Saints' Day. May heaven bless us all. The Dunnage Horror, with Ronald Coleman as your star of Offense. Forces Radio Service. That was an episode of Suspense called The Dunwich Whore here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a story written by H.P. Lovecraft in honor of his birthday that's coming up. Uh, what, tomorrow? Next week? When Sunday. Is it? Sunday, okay. And Tim is a huge H.P. Uh, Lovecraft fan. I am. I have a few Lovecraft bona fides. Um, <laughs> I said bona fides. I Do have you? been a writer on uh, various board games, uh, including Arkham Horror, uh, Fantasy Flight Games, whole Arkham Files series, Eldritch Horror, uh, Mythos Tales from Eighth Summit. Um, I've done one-man shows based on Lovecraft. What was the Lovecraft show? I think it was a friend show that I went and saw... You and Amy were in it with the snakes coming out of the walls. That was the curse of Yig. That's right. That was beautiful. I mean, terrifying, but it was really well done. <laughs> I'm going to jump right into my final note and start with it because I think it's important. This, again, falls into this category where I sometimes unintentionally feel left out. Like Lord of the Rings, we've talked about that. I made jokes in this, but... Uh, Harry Potter. It, when you watch the movies, they're not done for people who haven't read the books. And those who have read the books say, oh, of course you can follow along. No, it's not that hard. It's not that. And it really is. Um, I'm sorry, who's this again? <laughs> and what's happening? And what are they talking about again? I like that he thinks reading the books would be simpler. <laughs> <laughs> but you can reread it. Or at least you're an aficionado on it. Yes. I, I think the same thing applies to Harry Potter a lot. I think that they skip chunks of the book. They go, well, everybody knows what happened there. Now they're at the Cave of Gloobadoo. So now... <laughs> I love the Cave of Gloobadoo. <laughs> he did a board game on the Caves of Gloobadoo. <laughs> All right, so I listen to this again, as always, 
You guys send them to me. I don't go look up anything. I don't find out anything. I know nothing about H.P. Lovecraft except for this Yig thing that you did. I know that he is a writer that has a huge following that does a scary thing. So I'm not a complete idiot, but I, I don't know anything about it. So I just sit and listen to it. And here's where this radio adaptation of this lost me a little bit. I had to stop and go look things up because they didn't take the time to explain it to someone that doesn't know. I had never heard, and you're going to have to help me with the word, the word Necromachanamaka. <laughs> Necronomicon? Yeah, but, but, but you knew Yog Sothoth, sure. right? <laughs> I was going to get to that. That's another great example. They, they say them, and they don't explain them. So, oh, I'm sorry, if you know nothing about Lovecraft, if you haven't read this, then you have no idea what's happening. And because of the age of the internet, I could stop, look at them, and go, okay, now I know what's going oh, on. Oh, Yogg-Soth. <laughs> I actually said that. <laughs> I'm on Wikipedia and went, oh, that's what he's yelling at the top of the hill. I get it now, but this is my point. Well, Why do I have to be left behind if, or say at the beginning, turn it off if you don't know anything about Lovecraft because you're going to be confused. And that a, voice, too, by the way. <laughs> a difference between now and then. Was it required reading in school? Not at all. <laughs> when Lovecraft would like write this story and have, include a reference to Yogg-Sothoth, he had no intention that you should know who Yogg-Sothoth was, but he would present it without explanation because part of his point, I feel was that you get these glimpses of things you don't understand and you don't know, and it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable and uneasy. Uh, I think Necronomicon, at least, he would put a little one-sentence uh, description in there, but because so much time has passed, because people have shown so much interest, now it is more like a modern canon thing where people know this is what this is and this is what you have to understand about it. That was not so much true at the time. But you just said it. One sentence would have helped me out. It's an old book. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, has all these things in it. I think it says it's an old book. And he goes to a library to find a copy of it, to look up pages yep. in it. So I think that mm -hmm. much is explained. But the information I found in, when I read, and by the way, you know, this took me way too long to get through this because now I'm down a rabbit hole of the Necromonicon. Oh, God. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and I'm reading everything. And I will tell you, and I'm not lying, three hours before I came back and hit unpause. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was like, oh, there's this Necromonicon that is uh, <laughs> that people don't like that was written in. Oh, it's fake. Oh, and the Anton it's, LaVey one? Oh, mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this one. And oh, people, oh, look at all these images of people who have made them in their homes and what they think it looks like. And, and it was fascinating. And how many people think it's real? That bookstores are inundated around the <laughs> clock with H.P. Lovecraft people asking for copies of this, not thinking that it's not real, by the way. Actually you really, has you are currently lecturing on the topic of this material that you said you didn't understand. I, well, I had, it's my point. I had to go learn all this. Barnes & Noble has it under the frequently asked questions on their website. It does not exist. Anyway. That's awesome. I know, right? Uh, you could make things much more inviting for a guy like me who's just like, I love old-time radio. Tell me a scary story. Oh, I've got so much to learn. Well, I will say this. There's probably a reason that this is the one Golden Age adaptation of H.P. Oh, Lovecraft yeah. because I don't think it's adapter-friendly because, like Tim said, H.P. Lovecraft's intent was that 
you get these confusing, baffling glimpses into a bigger, darker world that is supposed to leave you unsettled. And it did. I will tell you, I loved it. I loved the acting. I loved the story. I just had to stop and go find things, and that's annoying to me. It's a sizable short story, uh, so they To knock it down to 25 minutes. Yeah, and they are crunching the information. I mean, it's funny that you felt like there wasn't a lot of information. From my point of view, having read the story, it just felt like they were just had their H.P. Lovecraft hammer out, and they're just every (laughs) second were just like hitting you with more information. It felt so dense. I enjoyed it, but Mm -hmm. that was the first thing I thought. I was like, I wonder how Eric's going to be able to decipher this. Or anyone who's never heard or read any H.P. Lovecraft. I had I had to stop and uh, go down a rabbit hole. And then I came back and went, oh, I think that that description of the tentacles and the arms and the legs and the face and, and the shape like an egg. And I, I thought it was brilliantly terrifying and unsettling because of the unsureness of we really don't get to find out exactly what this thing is. That's very much what Lovecraft is uh, known for and what he mastered. I think there's this great almost meta line at the beginning, and I really love the conceit of the broadcast to warn people because it allows them to describe these crazy things going on. But in one of the very first lines, Armitage says, the purpose of this broadcast is to make the horrible believable to you. And it struck me immediately that it's almost like they're stating the challenge of adapting this story (laughs) in 30 minutes. (laughs) Right. This is our desperate hope, listeners. (laughs) And, I mean, it really is. And then even at the end, when When the beast appears and Rice loses it, and we just cut to silence, and then the suspense announcer comes back. It's like, I'm sorry, it was a failed experiment. I'm sorry. I almost thought it was going to end there. Yeah. It's a weird moment for me. I go back and forth at that ending of loving that fourth wall breaking meta moment and hating it. Because it, it's not set up at the beginning as the suspense announcer saying, let's go live yeah. to this mm-hmm. doctor who is reporting live right now. Uh, and he says, come in, Dunnage, come in. And then I would be like, uh, he's gone, you know, like then I would yeah. believe that yeah. they didn't earn the right to have the suspense announcer come back and go, oh, <laughs> uh, all the actors just left. You know, like, <laughs> it was really an easy fix for me to just present it at the top like it was a live broadcast, War of the Worlds-esque. But I think every listener then and most old-time radio listeners today know War of the Worlds. So it's almost like War of the Worlds has already done that shortcut for us. Because if you set it up at the top, you, there'd be a little it, bit of an eye roll of like... do it at all? The way they do it is surprises you. If you set it up at the top, you're like, oh, they're doing a War of the Worlds knockoff. Like the fact that it's a radio broadcast at the top is enough to me to cue in that surprise at the end, but it doesn't telegraph it. I really liked it. I I it because again, it leaves you in this sort of unsure where you are position, just like the people fighting this (laughs) monstrous being. We've hit this impasse before. That's a surprising thing that I liked because it sounds wrong. You and I differ on that. It, well, it takes me by surprise every time, which now makes me sound kind of stupid. But... <laughs> so gullible. Some of the audio things that they do in here, I really enjoy. I love the sound of the shrieking wind with a uh, wizard Waitley oh, yeah. screaming oh, yeah. Yogg-Sothoth into that. And oh, it's yeah. just doing it in this just sort of beastly bellow. And it's like, whoa. There yeah. are moments in this that are creepier than the short story, which is an achievement. I like the the guy from Sling Blade. 
was awesome. Well, is, that is that what he sounded like? like? To me, it sounded just like Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yes. like like, okay. Like, okay, that's funny. <laughs> that's something that's... Lotion in the basket. Or, 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 I like them French fried potatoes, uh-huh. <laughs> both, both you don't inherently I don't put that voice when you're reading the short story, at least I didn't, to Wilbur. Okay. He's supposed to be this sort of imposing figure, but he's also an Appalachian hillbilly. That's one of the things I love about this adaptation. Eight is... foot tall and goatish looking. By yes. Way. Yeah. It's distressing. Even It reminded me of that, and I did kind of think of him standing in front of the mirror, tucking his junk between his goat legs and dancing around. But once I got past that... <laughs> it, it's a disturbing choice to... I'd necromon me. <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta go. <laughs> Tim, yes. since you're the big Lovecraft guy, uh, how did they do? Uh, as much as you are joyous over I Love a Mystery, I am so joyous over this because it is the perfect blend of Lovecraft and suspense. Mm-hmm. It takes that pulpy horror of the 20s and 30s, puts it in this environment of the 40s and 50s radio show, and it helps because I know the story, so I'm not struggling to follow the plot. I didn't really struggle to follow the plot. I will give you that. I mean, I get it. I just want to know more about that. Mm-hmm. And then, and unfortunately, it, when, when, I, I found out it was a huge pop culture deal that I had to learn a lot about. And I get when they refer to it like, and you should know this, that you feel yeah. like, oh, I should know this. But I did have to look up what he was screaming at the top of the mountain. Like, yeah. I needed to know what those words were. And how awesome in audio are the whippoorwills. Yes. Yeah. There's that another rabbit hole fantastic. I went down, by the way. Uh, And it is an actual, especially East Coast legend. Uh, It's a Native American legend as well that they do sing uh, at your door when you're dying and uh, we'll take your soul away for you. And so all of that I thought was really cool. And then I read that Lovecraft knew that because of a woman that he interviewed that had all of these old folk legends. And he spent a long time interviewing her and incorporated a lot of her, uh, what he told her, into his books. Hmm. Did I just teach you something? I had no idea. (laughs) Nice. Look at me. <laughs> Did either one of you understand one word that was said in the general store? <laughs> one word of that Northeast accent uh, the, conversation with the old men? I have no idea. I listened uh, 50 times. Church like they never seen. A husband like <laughs> oh, Yeah, Beverage Farm. <laughs> da, 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 da. I had not one word that I know what was going on. Uh, I got the gist. Yeah, well, yeah, something about... You'll find out who his father is. <laughs> uh, well, that really is the gist. <laughs> one day, <laughs> Sothoth is going to come kick your butt. I love about this story is that they set Wilbur up as this major antagonist, mm-hmm. that he is the big threat. He's going to come get this book, and he comes, and he's killed by a dog. When I first read the story, I was just like, what? what? And I flipped ahead and I'm like, there's still like 25 <laughs> more pages. What's going on? Yeah, I love that. But that's because he's weak, right? He's he's weakening, isn't that? His twin brother's growing so fast. He needs to get this book. Twin brother. Woo, didn't catch that. <laughs> you, that's there's the an important of, part of the story. Wow, I did not that's catch the gigantic the, thing. I just that's thought growing. it was his father that had fathered him. That's being from another world had fathered no, him. And if this adaptation has a weakness, I hate to say it, it's Ronald Coleman, because mm. he is so ridiculously calm and English during the entire thing. And even that explanation, he's just fought this giant <laughs> squirming entity, oh, and he's just 
very low key about it. It's like, oh, did you see? He had a face on one side of him, and right. he looked a little like, like his brother Wilbur. And he, so they were twins. And let's go have no, I tea. Hear, yes, I didn't hear yeah, the word twins. Like, yeah. I thought it was his dad. So why is he then weaker a week later to come back to get the fancy book? Is his brother taking his blood from him to keep stay alive? That he's weaker. It's just that the it's just a mean dog. <laughs> yeah, it's a mean dog. Good dog. It's uh, but his brother's is... nine feet tall and looks different when he comes back. Mm-hmm. His legs are scaly. Well, that, he's always looked like that. It's just the dog has t- oh. shredded him, torn his clothes off. They're looking at the body, and that's where that description comes. I of thought the that had happened skin. in the week that he was gone. But they no. do in the description like add a foot to his height, which I don't. They didn't. Okay, see. Okay, I, they said nine feet in the second part because they're both growing, and they keep saying that I'm surprised at how much faster the other one is growing. Ah. And so the other one is somehow more connected to his father, and he's more part of this other world because right. even Wilbur wonders, what will I look like when I don't have this body, when I am part of this so scary world? So who is the father? Yogg. Yogg Sothoth. And what is that? The gate, is that Satan? Extra-dimensional being who exists between time and space, not in space, but between spaces. Is this he is what a, you sound like after we right. do a few But is this is this a, a recurring character in Lovecraft? It is okay, uh, but mostly it's meant to be otherworldly god. I thought I took it as Satan. This story uh, among Lovecraft canon is sometimes criticized for being much more good versus evil than a lot of his other work. Yeah, isn't Lovecraft mostly a lot of evil stuff in the end? Yes, uh, people are insignificant, and other things are much more powerful, and that's horrible. And you and you all die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is uh, one of the rare instances of. And then, if you learn enough, you can eventually help stop that. What is the formula that they're working on? They never. That what? was the one thing that really stood out. Is like you skipped a bit here in, in explaining this. Yeah, I I went back and listened. Like all of a sudden, they're working on a formula. What formula for what to do what? And then they had the powder which was explained in his diary at eight years old that he had a powder, but I don't know where that came from, right? It was a formulation of language, right? The formula yes, wasn't it's a, a, magic like a chemical. Chant. It's a magic spell. He's trying how to are they working he's, he's on done, it? He's done research. They have to study it. Latin book. Uh-huh. One of the details I loved about it, which made it feel authentic, and it went back to that broadcast idea, is before Armitage is, is off to confront this creature, he, he says, you know, and if this doesn't work, there's this other book on page whatever... This probably won't work. So, <laughs> humanity, here's a plan B for you if I am devoured by this thing. I, I love that. Just a throwaway detail, but it, it really felt yeah. real. I wonder what plan B was, like baking soda. It was just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bubble bath. <laughs> um, the thing is invisible. His twin brother now that I know it's his twin brother. Yes. It's invisible. Yes, it, it is referred to as the titular Dunwich Horror. It's Wilbur Whitley and his twin, the Dunwich Horror. Ah, so been around a while before Wilbur? No, they were both uh, born at the same time. It's been in a barn eating cattle. Where... Yeah, but he was born at the same time as Wilbur. Yes. By Yogg, yes. who found this... Amorphous god who mysteriously who had, impregnated Lavinia. Well, who was a albino witch lady. There's a no, lot of on. issues in this Just family. Just connect the dots, Eric. <laughs> I, no, I apologize. I'm the wrong person. To Last question. <laughs> How did he kill it? I didn't understand that. He found the chant. I mean, yes. it's, it's the right While page. he was up there... Well, he's yeah. been, but he threw the powder. Research. He could see it, and then he does the chant. Yeah, but right before he left, he didn't have the formula. I think the idea was that they weren't sure of it. Okay, right? because he also threw out, you know, and if this so doesn't work, work, there's another yeah. book with some other words. Just try, you know, read a nursery rhyme if you have to <laughs> do something. So, 
all of these questions then leads us exactly to my issue. Like, I shouldn't have to have this many questions and have Johnny H.B. Lovecraft sitting next to me so that I can get these answers. But isn't it great to have Johnny H.B. Yeah, it's <laughs> great to have to him here. Because without him, I wouldn't be able to get all these answers. And amazingly, take away all those questions and all those things you did, I didn't know, and I really enjoyed it. Because I think Lovecraft <laughs> is about the mood the atmosphere, and the horror. It is not about plots. It's, and, it's often about obscuring information. Yeah. And you said it, and the production value is great. I don't even know what effect they put on it for the Dunwich Horror's voice when it actually comes up. was really unsettling. Mm-hmm. Is Dunwich a town? Yes. Okay. In it's not a real town, but... It... Is that also in a lot of Lovecraft, Dunwich? There's a lot of this Lovecraft mythology, mythos, that uh, has grown since Lovecraft was writing. Mm. Um, so things like there's a town called Dunwich, there's a town called Innsmouth, there's a town called Kingsport. And since then, people have figured out, like, well, that city's here, that city's here. Oh, They're all related. Like where Springfield is in The Simpsons. <laughs> Very much. It's exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Final verdict on this guy. I really enjoyed it. I had a really good time. I enjoyed when I had to stop and go research things. I learned a lot about whippoorwills and necromonicons. And I I thought the production value, the acting, everything, even though I had all those questions, I still thought it was pretty terrifying, especially the description. And uh, I thought it was great. This uh, occupies a wonderful little sweet spot in my heart. I love this, this particular episode very much. And I'm highly biased, so... Classic. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really good, but I love this story in particular for the reasons you said it's sometimes criticized. I like seeing H.P. Lovecraft in this vein of good, actually, one over evil, and it's it's really interesting for that fact. I don't know that I call it a classic because part of why I love it so much is, again, what you said, Tim, about how it combines Lovecraft so well with suspense. I don't know that this hybrid baby necessarily (laughs) reaches classic status but uh it is really interesting to me that it is the only golden age hp lovecraft adaptation that i know of if listeners know of another one that is within that 30s through early 60s let us know because we'd love to hear more but i think everything else that's been done on audio is later adaptations how many books did he write full-length novels not many oh you're mostly short stuff yeah a lot of short stories and he's Quite a underground pop culture phenomenon. There's and a it, huge following. Totally the case of he died without much money in obscurity, and then his popularity just grew after his death. Oh, no. <laughs> That's sad. So he had no idea that he was awesome. And he might have known, but he didn't know that we knew. <laughs> oh, yog. <laughs> yog, darn it. <laughs> want to learn more, go to ghoulishdelights.com. There, not only can you find more episodes of this podcast, not only can you find um, information about our live shows, because we go out in the world, we perform versions of old scripts live on stage, including at the Minnesota Fringe Festival, but you can also find out about my guest appearance at the Portland H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in October, which is another secret reason I wanted to do this podcast, was because (laughs) to plug this appearance. I love the Portland Lovecraft Film Festival, and I'll be there in October. Excellent. You can also go to iTunes and write a review of this podcast. Uh, Bonus points if you can write it in a dark Lovecraftian (laughs) manner and drive us mad from reading it. You make me look stuff up. (laughs) Cyclopean and Eldritch. (laughs) And Alluvial. Next, we're back to our uh, taking listener requests for the rest of the summer. What'd you call it? The, uh, The Listener's Library. Listener's Library. That's right. And we're back. We have another audience 
audience uh, suggestion, and I uh, took that upon myself. We're going to be hearing uh, The Weird Circle and uh, the episode called The Werewolf. Until then... Look out! Hey, your grandson got yellow hair like Lavinia Wizard?